This is episode 105 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're finishing up Winter Youth Celebration 2004, The Whole Story with Rick McKinley. This is session four, Their Story. Well, all right, quick clapping. We're going to talk about hell. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <all right. laughs> okay, man, that's not working either. So, dude, this mic is, all right, is that better? Too close, too high? Jake, we are talking about the whole story, and today we're going to talk about our story. Our story meaning the fact that as we look the first night, you know, here Christ shows up and and tells us his story. He's creator, he's risen king, he's crucified God, and he intersects your personal story. And we talked about how that's the source where when we get honest with God, that's the place where we're going to go for love, acceptance, and grace. Last night, we talked about their story. And what does it mean for us to be light in darkness and intersect other people's stories? And tonight we're going to, today, we're going to talk about our story together. What does it mean that you and I and all of us here today are the church? What is our story together? What does Christ want us to do to participate in his story. And so, if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 13. And I'm going to pray. God, thanks for a great week together. Thanks for the fun and uh, for the moments that we encountered you, for friends that we made, for enemies that we've forgiven, and uh, just for meeting with us. And so I pray today as we head out of here, in the few minutes that we have, just to kind of wrap things up. God, that you'd meet with us in our hearts, and you'd connect us to one another, and to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 13, this is a verse that you guys have probably heard before. It's in verse 34. It says, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And so the story is this. He's hung out with these guys for three and a half years. And now they're in the upper room. It's the night before he's going to be betrayed. And he, he speaks to them as one who's going away. And he says, there's something that I want you all to be about. When I go to the cross and I raise from the dead and I ascend into heaven, there's something that I want to be in your DNA as a people. And he says, and it's this. A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You think about these people, and so they've been with Christ for you know, three and a half years, and they are not the A team, they're the B team. In that culture, uh, a rabbi would pick you to follow him, if you were sort of the best of the best, the smartest, the brightest, all that stuff. So if you didn't get picked, then you went to work like everybody else. So when Jesus shows up on the shore and says, Simon, I want you to drop your nets and follow me. He's not picking the A team. He's picking the B team. He's just an average guy that that doesn't have a lot 
in, in regards to like he's not highly academic, he's not super smart. And so these 12 is just sort of this misfit group of people that Christ has brought together. And he says to them, I want you to love each other. And these guys did not have a ton in common. You had fishermen, you had political nut jobs, you had uh, complete zealots, you had like the repo man tax collectors, and in, in a group of 12, so that's sort of uncomfortable to be with people like that, that you really don't agree with or like a whole lot. And in the midst of that, he says, I want you to love each other. Now, when he says the word love, what comes to those guys' minds? What did they experience hanging out with Christ for three and a half years that, that when he says love, they know what he means? And so if they would go back in their mind to sort of paint this picture, what does love mean to Jesus? They would go, well, first of all, we know that love, that he loves the Father, that he loves God with everything he has. They'd wake up all the time in the morning and Christ was missing. It would be like four in the morning, it would be blackout, and he's up praying to the Father. That he would defend the Father to the point where people are saying, hey, we're going to kill you if you don't renounce stuff. He's like, whatever, I'm, I always do what the Father tells me to do. And so they knew that love for him meant, meant loving the Father. They also meant that love meant loving sinful people. We looked at that last night. The Levites and the repo men and the addicts and all the broken of the world that when Christ said love, they saw that love in action towards sinful people like you and me. They also understood that it meant to love your enemies. Christ taught that, practiced that, loving your enemies. Loving your enemies is difficult. It's something that, that when it really gets down to the nitty-gritty and someone in your youth group or, or one of your friends ha, has bummed you out or you have a total enemy that just hates you and wants to take you out. And Christ says, I want you to love them. And Christ is a model for that. I have a friend named Shane who is sort of a, a modern-day prophet in my mind. Not in the sense that he speaks these prophetic words. He just does absolutely crazy things. They make you stop and go, huh. And, and Shane went to Baghdad the week before uh, the bombs dropped in the war. And, and he went there to stand with the Christians who were in Baghdad. And there's a large population of believers in Baghdad. And to stand with the non-Christians as well and say, when my country bombs your country, I want you to know that God loves you. So while he's in Baghdad, he meets these amazing people that have been through incredible persecution and suffering for their faith. And he saw this picture of what it looked like to love your enemies. And so he's talking to this woman and she says, my son and my husband were driving down the road and the police stopped him. And they pulled them out of the car and they beat them and they poured gas on them and lit them on fire and killed them. And while he was there, she went to court to testify against the policeman. And it was her turn to talk. And she stood up in this room and looked right at these two guys who had killed her husband and her son. And she said, these two men, to the judge, have took away everything I love in this world. 
And so I have a lot of love to give. And I want you to sentence them to come to my house two days a month so I can feed them and take care of them and love them. That's, that just makes you stop and go, what are you thinking? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we, don't you want to punish this person? Don't you want to beat this person? And he says, Christ says, no, I have a love that's going to show up as you love one another that's really weird looking. It's foreign to this world. And when she can stand up and look at two people who have killed her husband and son and say, I want you to sentence them to come to my house so I can love them, then God has shown up in her life. Love for the disciples, they understood that it included your enemies. And when Christ would go to the cross, what does he pray? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They would have understood love, that love was for the unseen of society. He, he, they watched him all the time. They're, the disciples were rebuking little children that want to go sit on Christ's lap. And the disciples were like, get away, get away, get away. And Jesus is like, hey, you don't get it. They already understand what the kingdom is. The places that society doesn't want to look and the unseen and the insignificant, Christ loved in that realm. The spiritually bankrupt, the insignificant, he loved like that. And, and so who he loved, when, when he said, I want you to love, they had this huge picture for three and a half years that they understood what that mean. It meant you love God, you love enemies, you love each other, and you love in a way that suffers with. You love in a, in a solidarity that says Christ doesn't just love from afar, but Christ comes into the world, takes on flesh, and says, I'm going to love right next to you. I'm going to stand with you. He, he loved through serving them. He was washing their feet. That The creator, remember his story, he created everything comes down, takes on this body, clothes himself with a robe, and begins to wash the dirt and the manure and all the stuff off the disciples' feet. That love for them was this picture of solidarity and suffering and servanthood. And so when Christ says love for the disciples, they, it wasn't just an idea or a concept. It was the whole life of Jesus in action. It was the whole life of Jesus in action. And the disciples knew that. But he moves from there and he says, Now take that love that you understand from me, and I want you to love each other. I want you to love one another. Well, how do we do that? What does that look like? And what he's pointing to is he says, be like me. Love each other the way that I loved. Which means a couple of things. It means one, to stand with one another. It's really difficult in our culture to say, I'm going to suffer with you or I'm going to stand with you. As you look in your youth group, there's kids in your youth group you don't like. We do these things in our church called home communities, which are these little house church things. And I watch new people that'll come and they'll go to one and they'll be there for like a week or two and then they'll pop to another one. And I know why they're leaving. They're leaving because there's always a weird person in our home communities 
who talks too much or just is really bizarre or socially unfit. And normally it's them, but they don't know it. They think everyone else is weird. And so there's that sense that I go, well, God puts those people in our lives or we are those people in other people's lives because he says he's not looking for you just to have affinity, just like this is the buddy system. He's saying, I want you to love each other in your differences. Our independence makes it difficult for us to say, I'm going to stand with you right now. Or, I need you to stand with me right now. My parents are getting divorced. I'm broken. I can't do this on my own. I need your help, guys. It's hard for us to go there. There is a girl at a Bible college that comes to our church, and she got cancer, and uh, she lost her hair. And like, a ton of people went out and shaved their head. And, and, and there's a sense of this, this simple little act, because, I mean, a lot of you guys have your head shaved. But if, if you're a girl and you shave your head, that's a little different. And to walk on the campus and you see all these people with their heads shaved, and you go, I don't think they're all, they don't all have cancer, so I guess this is a new rage. Everyone's just shaving their head on the campus. But for that girl, what does it feel like for her to go to class? And not with a wig or a hat or covering up the fact that she's lost all her hair in chemo. But she's just one of everybody who's standing with her in that place. Just a simple act. But they're paying attention. They're paying attention to say, our, our sister is suffering and we need to come alongside and stand with her. And I don't know what that looks like in your group. But, but you need to figure it out. And you need to have a desire to figure it out. And that's, so when Jesus says love, they understood that that meant we stand with each other the way that he has stood with us. The other picture is in this serving, this idea of how do you serve each other when you leave here? What does it look like to actually love each other? And, and that's a twofold thing that needs to happen. One is there's, there's a place where you have to be humble and say, you know what, I need help. From the simplest thing, like I'm just dumb at geometry. I can't do it. Is there anybody here who can help me? To the greatest thing, like the girl that's suffering with cancer. But you also have to be the person that's willing to say, you know what, even when they don't ask, let's pay attention to each other. We spend so much of our, our time with our eyes on ourselves. You walk into youth group, well, no one talked to me. No one liked me. Because you stood in the corner the whole time and faced the wall. Like, that's why they don't talk to you. You, you look like you're, they don't know if you're taking a leak or what you're doing. It's just sort of scary. <laughs> and there's a sense that when my whole life revolves around you taking care of me, you being nice to me, these people existing for me, then you miss our story. Because our story is not about the individual rising to the top to say, everyone pay attention. Our story is about the individual going to his knees and saying, how can I serve? And how can I love? And that means you have to break through your insecurity and your fear and those things. There's a piece where when he says love one another, they understood that means to suffer with, to sacrifice with. And these 12 men end up going out, being sent out, and giving their lives for the gospel. They die. For their faith. 
They understood what it was like to be beaten and put in prison and to suffer with. Now, that's probably not going to happen to you. But there's still a place that says, will we sacrifice so that together we can be okay? Last night, you guys took an offering. You gave up something. Something that was fairly insignificant, whether that was a meal today or whatever. But collectively, you guys got together and you, you brought in 7700 bucks, which is a huge gift. Yeah. And, and what that translates to, remember the dude that was here last night, Paul, and he said, a, a dollar puts $85 worth of this medical supplies, because people donate the medical supplies, and so your money is spent on getting it there and shipping it. It means that $650,000 worth of medical supplies will go over there, just because of that little offer. And I think even for what we gave, you would say suffering is probably not the word you would use. Like you didn't give up to the point where you're like, gosh, I'm going to starve to death or I'm going to pass out today. It's kind of like, all right, I won't get, you know, Coke and chips on the way home. And I'm not belittling it. It's a beautiful gift. It's our little cow that we're taking to the embassy saying, hey, can we help? At the same time, though, it's just a small invitation to say, what if you began to live your life that way? What if we began to love each other here and overseas and paid attention and said, well, maybe I don't need to spend like 200 bucks on a pair of Nikes or whatever it is. Maybe I don't have to be the coolest looking dude at school. Maybe I'll take that money and give it to someone else who needs it. What does it look like to suffer with? So when Jesus says, love one another, this is the picture that he's talking about. Your whole life in action. Saying, I'm going to stand with, I'm going to serve, I'm going to suffer with, because we, this is our story, not just our individual story. And yet, as Jesus is speaking to them, and they get this picture, he says, it's not just love in general, but it's love like you received. He says, love one another as I have loved you. And that's where the bar just all of a sudden goes way up here. Don't you wish that he said tolerate one another? Tolerate one another is something I feel like I can do. I could do it with a smile because I know I'm leaving and I'm not going to be with you much longer. So we'll just tolerate each other for a little while. Hi, Bill. Good. How's the weather? Fine. Great. I'm going to go get another muffin. Uh, I, I just want to tolerate Bill for a while, you know. But he's not saying that. He says, I want you to love each other with a love that's the same kind of love that I've given you. Which means this. When these disciples understood, this is what they're hearing. Love one another as I have loved you. The first thing they understand is this is a God who came after them. He pursued them. These are fishermen who were hanging out on the banks. And he, say, he came to them and said, hey, come, follow me. Come be with me. The first picture of loving one another is the fact that, that, that he's saying, if you do it like I do it, then you're going to pursue each other. 
You're not going to wait and hide in the corner. You're going to go after him. God is such a pursuer of people. It's beautiful. There's this dude that came to my church, and I'm talking to him. And, uh, and, and so this person asked him, how'd you, how'd you find Imago? He's like 23. He says, you know, I woke up, and I just felt like I needed to go to church. And uh, I didn't know where to go, so I got in the car. I just heard this little voice that said, follow the car in front of you. And it came to Imago. And you're kind of like scared, right? You're like, oh my God. And we don't have bumper stickers. Like, Follow me, I'm going to church. Um, and, and so God, God just wakes this dude up, puts him in his car, says, I want you to follow the car in front of you, gets him to church, and, and, and his life gets turned around by Christ. And, and if the, that's the kind of God who loves somebody so much to like, you know, speak to their head and get them to follow and, and orchestrate a car to get in front of them that's actually going to the same church. He's saying this is a God who pursues. And as you look inside your youth group and your church and, and, and older people and people in your church that you don't have to go hide in that upper room with the bad furniture that we talked about. You can actually go down and just say, you know what, I, that might be where you want me, but that ain't where I'm going. I'm down here and I'm going to pursue you. And I'm going to love you. What does it look like to pursue one another? If you see someone who's left out and pushed aside not to go, I don't want to hang out with them because I want to just be with my friends and have fun. But no, I'm going to pursue and include and care. For them, they would have understood that loving as they had been loved meant to pursue. It also meant that it was gracious. They didn't deserve it. If you're waiting around, and we do this all the time, you guys, I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. I'll love you if you love me. I feel like when I, when I love these people, they don't really care. They don't return it. The love that Christ pursued us with was a gracious love that said, you may not be returning this very quickly. And, and I'm not expecting it. While we were yet sinners, he dies for us. It's a gracious love. So don't go into it going, here's the exchange. I'm going to be nice to you, and you be nice to me. Dude, that's how they do it everywhere else in the world. That's how life operates. In the church, it's supposed to look a lot different, which means we love each other without expectation of being paid back. We love each other graciously. They would have understood that it was patient, I mean, think about this. They get to hang with Jesus for three and a half years. So if you're going to have a mentor and how to be a Christ follower, it's really helpful if it's Christ. And, and, and so they kind of had an edge on us, right? And at the end of it, he's sitting there in the upper room, and they're arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. And he's like, oh, my gosh. It's not about being greatest, guys. And then they get to the garden, and Peter pulls out his sword and says, come on, bring it on. You want some of this? And I'm cutting off ears and stuff. And... Uh, <laughs> And then he gets arrested, and they're sitting there, and they're, they're like, I never knew the guy. I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm sorry, you want to get a beer? Uh, and, and they're denying that they were ever with him. And you look at that, and you just go, this would be a great time for fire to come from heaven and devour those 12 people. Like, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, okay, three and a half. And, and, and then just look at the guards and say, now you want some of this? Because, I, I mean, I don't need a sword. I'm going to burn down everything. He doesn't do that, though. He shows up and says, I'm going to be patient with you. 
picks up the dude's ear and heals the guy and says, Peter, put down your sword, man. Meets him on the beach after he raises from the dead and restores him. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three times you deny me. Three times you get to tell me you love me. That the love that they had received from them was a patient love. And youth pastors, you need to be patient with your kids. And kids, you need to be patient with each other. It's a patient love that just says, look, it's grace-filled. And we don't have expectations that we're going to be much better than the 12. We're, we're probably going to blow it and make mistakes. And that's why he said, forgive and repent. That's, that's the whole equation for getting along in the church. Forgive and repent. The other thing is that it was tolerant. It, it was a love that said, you know what, I'm going to put up with your weaknesses and your mistakes and your dumb jokes and your bad breath. And there was a, just a sense of tolerance with Christ. He was, he was very tolerant. It's not like he condoned everything, but he didn't say, until you get to this level, try not to hang out with me because I'm really good. Uh, and he was, right? I mean, he's perfect. He's sinless. But he, but he said, I, I, can, I can handle your weaknesses. I, I, can, I can handle that. And we should be all the more tolerant going, look at each other. You're all alike. We're all alike. And the fact that this dude blows his temper and yells at me, well, I think I've done that before. A hundred million times. So there's a sense that when he says, love one another as I have loved you, they understood that. It was patient, gracious, tolerant. It's a beautiful picture. And the purpose of it, though, and this is where I think we get hung up, the purpose isn't so that you could have a warm and fuzzy youth group. It's not so the church would get together and just be like, isn't this great? We're all here. We're all wearing pastel colors and crying and hugging each other. Like, isn't it fun? That was not the point. He said, love one another as I have loved you, so that all men will know you're my disciples. Jesus' command to love one another is not to produce a comfortable community, but to proclaim to the world that we are his. And the sad reality is that the opposite is true. If, the, if we don't love one another as he loved us, if there's no difference, if I could go be on the golf club or the chess club or your youth group and pretty much everything's the same in all three of those arenas, then I'm wondering, like, did God really have to show up for that? I was watching the news one night and it comes on to the cops that had to go to this church business meeting. And, and they're having this, uh, they have this big lunch afterwards and then they got in a fight and they started throwing food at each other. So they got this huge food fight. And they have to call the cops to come to, to break it up. And the, you know, they're pulling rice out of their hair and all this. And I'm watching it and there's a part where you're laughing because you're just like, nice. There's another part that you just, this verse just rang in my ears. All men will know that you're not following Jesus and he's not real. Because you get together on Sundays and throw rice at each other and yell and have to call the cops because you can't get along. Like what a tragic statement it is to not love one another. If you bring someone from the world into your group, 
there should be an experience of this verse. That while these people love each other, they're patient, they tolerate, they pursue, they're gracious, they serve and suffer with and care and give up stuff and help each other out. They're all bald. It's really odd. <laughs> it's this, it, it's, it should feel and look a lot different. And Jesus says, all men will know. And so what he wants you to do when you leave here is proclaim your allegiance to his, your king with your mouth shut. To leave here and interact with each other in a way that just says, Jesus is my God. What would that look like? The point is this. That Christ pours his love into your hearts so that you will pour your life out for his love. When you think about all that we've talked about, we start with his story. That, that God creates and comes into this story. That he intersects your story on the cross. And that he pursues you to this point of saying, I'm going I'm to suffer for you. And then he invites us to join him in this incredible mission of being his hands and feet and voice to the whole world, of living in this new community where we call this our story, that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, this invitation to love one another. And we do that with an anticipation that God, our lover, is going to take us home to heaven and we are going to party like Levi. We're going to have... You know, you know what I mean? It's just this big, raging, beautiful kingdom party where we celebrate and there's no more mourning or crying or tears or pain. That's the whole story. I want you to think about that story as Travis comes and sings this song that just, I think, wraps it up really well. So think about that as he comes. Like a man comes to an altar I came into this town With the world upon my shoulders And promises passed down And I went into the water And my father, he was Tear it down so you will be set free. But I found thieves and salesmen living in my father's house. I know how they got in here, and I know how to get them out. I'm turning this place over from foot to balcony and just like these doves and sheep oh you will be set free 
before I drew a breath Some things I loved easy And some I love to death Because love's no politician It listens carefully It's a picture of the whole story. It's Christ coming in pursuit of you, setting you free, anticipating this party in heaven where we will all be together if you're a Christ follower in this room today. We want to create some time now to come around the bread and wine. Uh, I love that line. You bring your history, you bring everything you got, and I'll bring the bread and wine. And it's actually going to be a celebration. Because all, Luke said something in his seminar, if all was known, all would be forgiven. And Christ knows everything, and it's all under his blood. And so we want youth leaders to go back to the table, and, and uh, they'll just tell them how many kids you have. And, and we want you guys to have communion today with one another, uh, to share your story and your groups loving one another. And so youth pastors, you can go back there now and serve your students I'm going to pray, and um, you just spend some time together thinking about Christ and what He's done and your story together. Father, thank You for these students and for the time we've had together this week. And now, God, as we, uh, as we come around Your table, we come as brothers and sisters in Christ, and God, we hear Your Word to us to love one another to love as you loved us. 
And so, God, we pr- I pray for them that you would give them courage and boldness. And you would give me that too. So that the love that you pour out in our lives, we would pour out to others. That the world would look at us and they wouldn't think there's a group of people that fight and bicker and are prejudiced against each other. But there's a, there's a group of people where there's a supernatural love that stands in their midst. They're people that tolerate and are gracious and they forgive. They give up stuff and they serve and they pursue each other. That these would be groups where lonely students could come in and experience your love and your grace. That you would give them the courage to leave the upper room with the bad furniture and love other people in their church. And that they would be that spark that ignites your love. God, help us to love with our mouth shut when needed so that the whole world would know that we're your disciples. Would you come into this time around the bread and the wine and meet with us and meet with these leaders as they serve their students. Build that unity of your love. I pray in Christ's name, amen.